It is me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio, and I am talking to you live on AM 950 uh, for the very first time with this show being in the 4 o'clock block as part of a block of other uh, LGBTQ-hosted shows. So how are you? Happy Saturday to you. I know that it's sunny (laughs) in Minneapolis because I can tell you that. And because it's a live show, you could actually call in. And I would love to hear from callers. The number is 952-946-6205. We have a great show. And we're going to kick it off with an interview with someone that, who was on the show a couple of years ago. I have Laura Bellin on from Des Moines. And Laura Bellin is uh, the curator, author of uh, Bleeding Heartland, a wonderful, wonderful blog, wonderful blog about Iowa's politics. And Laura Bellin has uh, been called uh, probably the hardest working and perhaps the best political reporter in the state by Des Moines uh, City Views uh, paper and one of the best investigative reporters in the state. The fix at the Washington Post named Laura Bellin as one of Iowa's outstanding political reporters in 2020. Um, And then Bleeding Heartland has been named one of the best state-based political blogs in the whole country. Laura Bellin, welcome. To Ellie Tuborno Rodi. Welcome back. How are you? Oh, it's great to be here, Ellie. I love to be on Progressive Talk Radio. We don't really have that in Iowa. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't have any cl- anything close to that. Okay, it might be the WMT Music Hour is the closest thing to it. Laura, I wanted to have you on uh, first of all because you you do such incredible work in Iowa, but particularly um, there is stuff going on in Iowa right now. That is like mind boggling as it relates to what the government's trying to do. Republican legislators are trying to do to to LGBTQ plus Iowans, but particularly transgender people. Can you bring us up to date? Because this week it was kind of like an up and it was a down and then it's a back. You know, I mean, we had this. Go ahead. Tell us what's going on. So the view from 30,000 feet, first of all, I've been covering Iowa politics since 2007. And one of the first stories I covered for Bleeding Heartland was when the Iowa legislature under a Democratic trifecta added gender identity and sexual orientation to Iowa's civil rights code. In 2007, it was so exciting. And when the Iowa Supreme Court affirmed marriage equality in 2009, it was one of the most exciting days I've had at the website. And Iowa really seemed to be, you know, generally speaking, a pretty good place for LGBTQ people to live. I'm not saying that there wasn't bigotry and discrimination, but I think that the overall climate, I would have told you, you know, 10 years ago that it was a a really positive place to be. Well, hold on. Can I, I'm going to interrupt you because you just gave that chronology. You, do you understand, you may not remember this or know this, but, but literally a month after the Supreme Court's decision unanimously recognizing the the right to marriage equality, that's when I transitioned. That's when I came out as Ellie Krug, as the first lawyer in Iowa to ever transition genders. So it was in that atmosphere where I felt that I was safe. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I... I mean, I knew... I knew people who moved back to Iowa from other states after that because they felt that Iowa was a a place where they could be out. And I mean, it very different from how when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s. I mean, I hardly knew anybody who was out, you know, and and so it, it seemed like things were really opening up. And I will say that our Republican trifecta, which we've unfortunately had since 2017, they didn't initially start out attacking LGBTQ plus community. They started with attacking 
uh, labor rights, abortion rights, yep. reproductive rights, many other voting rights. But it took a couple of years before they really started taking aim. And now there has just been an acceleration every year, more bills introduced, more becoming law. And our governor, Kim Reynolds, is really building her political brand by attacking especially trans Iowans. It's just incredibly sad to see. So it started with, in 2019, signing, uh, she signed a law that Republicans added at the last minute to a budget bill that would prevent, it was designed to prevent Iowa Medicaid program from covering gender affirming surgery. Then in 2022, she pushed very hard to get a transgender sports ban. Then last year, a whole host of bills, including a school bathroom bill, a ban on gender affirming care for minors, and school restrictions, an education bill that just had lots of anti-LGBTQ running all the way through it. And uh, this year, again, now we've seen it, you mentioned this past week was a bit of a roller coaster because on Wednesday, an Iowa House subcommittee voted down a bill that was an effort to remove gender identity from protection under Iowa's Civil Rights Act. And that was a big celebration. I was in the next room covering a different subcommittee, but you could hear people screaming and cheering in the hall when they heard that that had been voted down. And then the very next day on Thursday, the governor's office introduced a bill that is really just horrifying. I mean, I don't know how to describe it other than that, that it, it would include it, definitions of male, female, man, woman that are very exclusionary to trans and non-binary people. And then, which we've seen other states do that, but this was new to me and I've never seen this in a bill in Iowa before. Transgender people would have to have special birth certificates and driver's licenses that would display their sex assigned at birth as well as their yeah. current sex. It's, it's completely bananas. It's like the pink triangle. It really is. It, really, it, it is. I you mean, know. it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I wrote about this for my website and, and uh, my frame was that there's just no way this could be constitutional. I mean, I, I would think even any, any judge would look at this and say, how could the state have any legitimate interest, let alone an important interest in saying that every time you show your driver's license to someone, it has to reveal your medical history and your transgender status. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. And the governor is really making it sound like it, it, it's the, it's I describe it as the language of abusers as like, well, other they made me do it. You know, we this is just common sense. And unfortunately, we have to do these things because just to, to protect girls and women, it's just common sense. But I don't know what's going to happen with this bill. It literally was only just introduced and it has it's been assigned to a subcommittee, but there hasn't been a hearing scheduled yet. So. I'm hoping that it could be voted down like the other one that was voted down. But of course, this one has the full weight of the governor yeah. behind it. Well, it does. And, and you know, you and I have talked off off mic here about how uh, Governor Reynolds is um, really trying to outdo Florida and uh, what all the oppression that's going on in Florida. And, and I don't know if you're aware, but the week before last, um, did you catch this that the Florida Department of Motor Vehicles issued a letter to all of its satellite offices um, declaring that under current Florida law, it was illegal to allow anyone uh, to change the gender marker on their driver's license that was inconsistent with the gender they were assigned at birth. And then the letter goes on to say that if you are found with a driver's license that does not gender marker that does not match the gender assigned at birth, you could be arrested for fraud. 
Wow. And so, so of course, for Ellie Krug, all right, you know, um, I can't go to Florida. No, you can't. No, because you'd have to show your driver's license checking into a hotel down there. I mean, this is the thing. A driver's license is, for most people, the main form of ID that they have. And so if you just think about all the times in just your normal daily life when you would have to show random strangers your driver's license, it it's just, I, I mean, it, it is encouraging discrimination. And I mean, that is really horrifying. I will say our governor has said repeatedly that she's very competitive with other governors. She's obviously <laughs> borrowed a lot of ideas. In fact, the first time she said that she wanted a transgender sports bill, this was something that had been introduced in the Iowa legislature and it had never even gotten a committee hearing. And then in 2021, she was on a Fox News town hall with Republican governors, including Ron DeSantis and including Tate Reeves of Mississippi. And they started talking about this sports bill. And all of a sudden she said on live TV, I, I want to sign a bill like that. We're working on that. Well, she hadn't been working on that before. That was news to everybody in Iowa. But of course, the following year, then they pushed for it and they got it passed. And so yeah. she borrowed also the don't say gay or trans that Florida was the first to pass from, I think, kindergarten through third grade. The law that was that the legislature in Iowa passed last year was K through six. That has actually been enjoined by a federal court. So the right. state cannot enforce those teaching restrictions. But um, she was really happy to borrow that idea and even expand on it. Well, and even with the books, you I mean, you you also have a book you know, you have legislation in Iowa about banning books, you know, that are quote unquote pornographic. And and that's right. that's currently enjoined as well, if I understand correctly. That's right. Yeah. The yeah. book ban, it was well, <laughs> she would say that it was it was designed to target pornography. The law itself did not yeah. say anything about pornography, obscenity is sexually explicit. The law said that schools can have only age appropriate materials and age appropriate does not include anything that has a description or a visual depiction of a sex act. And so it swept up, the intention may have been to target a lot of books with centering LGBTQ characters and uh, books with sexual themes, but in fact, it pulled in all kinds of books. When you think about how many works of literature contain a description of a sex act, that's a lot. I mean, it's like 1984, To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, books about uh, that are designed to try to help children learn how to protect themselves against sexual assault or abuse. I mean, nonfiction books about the Holocaust yeah. or the rape of Nan King. So it really was extremely broad. And that's why a federal judge in late December enjoined the state from enforcing that. He said that was staggeringly broad and it was just not consistent with the First Amendment under any level of scrutiny. But the whole idea, though, is to create this uncertainty so that people that are library, the school librarians and the public librarians would be scared to death, you know, about because there were criminal penalties associated in that in that law. Well, it wasn't it technically it wasn't a, a criminal statute, but it was a, it would could basically be a death penalty for your career because it was you would first get a warning and then you could lose your teaching license. Okay. So it would be it's kind of similar to what they did with our abortion ban, the near total abortion ban, which has also been enjoined, but by a state court, not a federal court. But that that is not wouldn't have criminal penalties for doctors, but would basically say the Board of Medicine can impose discipline and that can include suspending or revoking your license to practice medicine, which how many doctors are going to roll the dice on that? Laura, we got to take a break. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk with you a little bit further about what's going on in our Southern state down to the South of Minnesota. 
All right, everyone, we've been listening to Laura Bellin from uh, the Bleeding Heartland uh, blog out of Des Moines. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on LA 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, uh, call in. We'd love to hear from you at 952-946-6205. We will be back in a moment. back. Uh, LA 2.0 Radio. I've got Laura Bellin here from Des Moines. She is the curator, the author the, of Bleeding Heartland. And if you, I mean, if you want to know about what's going on in Iowa politics-wise, you want to get to the Bleeding Heartland blog. Laura, let's, talk, you know, before the break, we were talking about what's going on right now around in Iowa as it relates to LGBTQ plus people, particularly the marginalization of trans people. You and I both grew up in Iowa. We, this is, and as you said at the top of the show, Iowa was very, you know, really changing in the 2010s. But, you know, in the 70s, right? And in the, and in the 60s and in the 70s, you know, we had Harold Hughes as governor. Then we had, followed by Bob Ray, who I, th- I think Bob Ray served, did he serve four terms? I don't know how many terms he served. He, he served for 14 years. 14 at, years. At first they had two-year terms and then they changed it to four-year terms. Okay, so all right, thanks. He a lot of times. See, of course you would know. And so, but, you know, Bob Ray in particular, I mean, the Vietnam War was going on. There were all these refugees. And he's like, of course we're going to take them. They're going to come to Iowa. What, what happened? What happened to Iowa? It's such a complicated question. And Bob Ray, that that moderate Republican, I mean, some people called them Rockefeller Republicans, other people in Iowa called them Jim Leach Republicans. They're basically gone now. I mean, we though many of those people of my parents' generation are now just Democrats or or registered independents, but they certainly don't identify as Republicans. I think in Iowa has been following the national trend of the religious right really taking control of the Republican Party. So it's not just in one area. It's more of a comprehensive, I mean, the anti-science agenda, the anti-environmental, anti-public education agenda. I mean, the Republicans of the 1970s and 1980s in Iowa certainly had differences of opinion with the Democrats, but they did fund a very strong public education system. And now we see the Republican Party trying to undo that. And actually, separately from what we've been talking about today, our governor is trying to dismantle a program that was set up 50 years ago in Iowa to try to help provide better services to students with disabilities and special education. And so it's really, I don't think that Iowa is that much different from the country, except demographically. I mean, we've seen trends in all states. We've seen white voters without a, a college degree moving away from the Democratic Party. And in Iowa, the preponderance of the electorate is white voters without a college degree. And you've seen the same thing in Minnesota. If you think about the Iron Range area or the area that Colin Peterson used to represent, 
there are areas that were bedrock Democratic communities that are now voting for Republicans. But the difference in Minnesota is you have the Twin Cities Metro, which is like more than 60% of the whole state's population. If Des Moines plus Cedar Rapids, Iowa were 60% of Iowa's population, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in. Right, right. You know, and I, I mean, I just, uh, it, it's so disheartening for me. It really is. And I don't know if we had talked about this last time, but I mean, I had wanted to come back to Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, I want, I'm, I'm an Iowan in, at heart. I mean, my listeners have heard that before. I mean, it is in my blood. I, you know, th- I mean, it's a beautiful state. The, the, you get them, people away from the politics. They're just really down to earth people. They give the, you know, they give you the shirt off their back. And I wanted to come back, but not after the 2020 election. And, you know, the Republicans said that they had a mandate from the voters, which, of course, if you're LGBTQ plus, you hear the word mandate come out of the mouth of a Republican. Um, You know that they're going to be gunning for you eventually one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I grew up here, graduated from high school in 1987. Then I was away for school, work, more school. And I moved back in 2002. But one of the most common things I hear from people when I'm around the state is that if if I had known that Iowa would be what it is today, I wouldn't have taken the job here. I wouldn't have raised my kids here. Right. I wouldn't have chosen to retire here. I hear that all the time from people. And I think it's really going to hurt. I mean, I used to joke with my friends of my parents, like, hey, if you need someone to call your kids and tell them why they should move back to Iowa to raise their family, like, I'm happy to do that. And I would hesitate to do that now, truthfully, because it's not a safe place for marginalized people. It's just not. And the and the most powerful people in Iowa are using their political capital to attack people who are already extremely marginalized. Well, you know, I was in Ankeny in uh, September and I was training um, high-level court officials. I don't want to um, say it any any way other than that, okay? Um, but I got done with the training, and a woman came up to me with, I mean, these are folks with very, very good jobs, uh, who came up to me and asked me, Ellie, can you tell me what St. Louis Park is like? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, it's a wonderful suburb, and in fact, I've trained uh, the, you know, the elected officials and the high administration in St. Louis Park. She said, well... I have a transgender child and we have to move. Right. And we're thinking about going to St. Now, can you imagine you have this wonderful job that, I mean, pay good benefits and great retirement and all, and you have to leave that now. Oh yeah. It's so sad. I mean, I, I know people who have left the state or are making plans to leave the state actively right now because they, it's not that after they passed the ban on gender affirming care, and by the way, I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, that law in Iowa has not yet been challenged. In many other states, people have filed yeah. lawsuits to, cha- to challenge uh, the ban on gender affirming care for minors. But that is in effect in Iowa. It has not been enjoined and it has not even had a lawsuit filed. So it's not safe. I'm sad to hear, but I can't say that I'm surprised because like I said, I, I hear that from people and I got a text from someone. It was so sad. You know, on Wednesday, I'd mentioned that this, the effort to yeah. remove gender identity protections from the civil rights code got voted down and people were so jubilant about it. And then I got a text from someone on Thursday after they heard about the governor's bill saying I had one day to be, to feel <laughs> that, this, yeah. that the government of Iowa wasn't trying to deny my right to exist basically. Yeah. Well, Laura, I've got to go uh, on with the show, but I just wanted to thank you for being here. I have. Oh, thank you for having me. So enjoyed uh, talking with you. 
And um, I'll have you back again, if you're willing. And uh, we'll talk about the landscape in Iowa. And for me, selfishly, what all of this is about, as I have reminded my listeners, is that really Minnesota is only one election away from starting down the road Mm -hmm. that Iowa has taken. And so it's important, as my listeners may ask, be asking, why do we keep hearing about Iowa? Well, it's because it's important for us to see what the end result may be. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Please keep it up, okay? I will. Because yeah, I know you've got a lot of... I will be following, closely following all the, the anti-LGBTQ bills this year, but... Hold on, we general, got, we got, we got, mud, we got muddled there. Give us, give the website oh. again. Yep. Bleedingheartland.com, where I am documenting the atrocities, basically, is what I'm doing. But we're right in the thick of our legislative session and the hits keep on coming. Okay, and it is a great blog. I just love it. So, all right, Laura Bellin, thanks so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I I keep it up and we'll be back in touch another time. Okay. thanks so much, Ellie. Have a great week. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, listeners, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, I've got uh, some other stuff not particularly happy to talk about. But I've, I've got a good story, too. I've got a story that will warm your heart. Because, of course, you know, my work is also about compassion. We'll be back in a second. Ellie 2.0 Radio. And we're back. LA 2.0 Radio. Um, Laura Bellin, just thank God. Thank God she's in Iowa. Thank God she's doing the work that she's doing. Check out Bleeding Heart Land, um, that, uh, the, her blog. It is just well, well worth your time. So I've got even, you know, other depressing stuff here, and maybe we should just get it out of the way. Although, I've got to tell you, I don't get to be on the radio very often where I'm live and I can talk to real humans. So if you have an interest in talking to me, and I'll give you free agency, we can talk about whatever you want to, give me a call at 952-946-6205. I'd love to talk with you. Um, So uh, still in the uh, category of depressing stuff around transgender people, yesterday, that would be Friday the 2nd of February, there was a piece had dropped in the New York Times. Uh, it was a 4,500-word piece, kind of opinion piece, titled, As Kids They Thought They Were Trans, They No Longer Do, unquote, by Pamela Paul. Um, and uh, this piece goes through and lists purportedly all kinds of scientific stuff um, towards the kind of the, well, not kind of, to the argument that allowing gender-affirming care for kids and youth um, is harmful to them um, because the underlying theme in this piece is that uh, uh, there's the claim that 80% um, of transgender youth will detransition, that is, that they'll go back to identifying according to the birth they were assigned at, uh, the gender they were assigned at birth, that 80% will detransition um, if uh, puberty and hormone blocker intervention is withheld. So in other words, if you don't give um, trans kids and youth uh, gender-affirming care, and you heard Laura Bellin talk about that uh, a little bit ago, um, 
in Iowa because there's a ban, and she said nobody's even challenged it yet. Um, the claim is that 80% of them, if you don't give them, you know, anything, that 80% of them will go back and say, oh, never mind, I'm really, uh, you know, I'm really what I was assigned at birth, and never mind. Uh, the fact of that is, is that that is just plain wrong, okay? Uh, there, so I'm, uh, so I've talked before about Erin Reed. She has a blog. She's a transgender woman who blogs. She has this incredible blog, Erin in the Morning, where she tracks legislatively all of the bills that are targeting trans and non-binary people across the country. I, I don't even, I still can't understand how she does it, but it is very professional. It's very up to date. And she has taken on this piece uh, that Pamela Paul wrote. So, I mean, the piece drops in the New York Times yesterday morning. And by yesterday evening, Erin uh, Reed had a rebuttal to every point that this Pamela Paul had in the New York Times article. And one of those is, is that um, the reality is, is that the detransition rate, that is where you say, okay, I made a mistake, I'm really not transgender, that the detransition rate, rather than 80%, is actually somewhere between 1% and 4%, okay? And that 97.5% of transgender youth maintain stable gender identity after five years of transitioning, after five years of having been on gender-affirming care. So, so they, they age out of teens and they're into their 20s, and 97.5% of those humans say, hey, no, um, I, really, I really wasn't a boy. I really am a girl, and uh, I'm living a life that I'm, that I'm happy with. And so this is somewhat, I mean, not somewhat, this is very much about the power of the New York Times where they can, can give a platform to people. Um, and, um, and then Erin Reed in her rebuttal one of the things that she said is, I, I don't have the platform of the New York Times to be able to rebut what's said. Now, if you want to if you, if you see this debate, go ahead. And, and frankly, I don't think it's even close to a debate. I mean, it's just the New York Times didn't, didn't fact check. The New York Times didn't uh, check the credibility of some of the people that, it, that are being quoted in the uh, Pamela Paul piece, okay? Pamela Paul herself... Um, has um, a claim before that transgender people are trying to erase women. So there you go. We've already got the bias built into whatever is written in this piece. But if you want to check it out, go to New York Times on the 2nd of February. Go find the piece by Pamela Paul titled, As Kids, They Thought They Were Trans, They No Longer Do. And then go to Aaron in the Morning, and you're going to find her rebuttal to the New York Times piece. It'll be very simple for you to find it on her blog. And, uh, and, and you, you go think for yourself. It's just that stuff like this in the New York Times, all it does is it feeds the prejudice against transgender people. It makes people believe that this is not real. If you've ever read my book, if you've ever heard me speak, if you've listened to this show, uh, you know this is real, okay? There are people who are born with wiring where the wiring in their brain does not match what they have for a body. Um, and I am here to report I am one of those people because I tried everything. Trust me, I tried everything to stay a man. I did. I tried all kinds of stuff. Therapy, drugs, alcohol, you name it. 
buying myself, you know, the black BMW as a gift, as a toy, um, as a reward. And I'm just here to tell you, um, none of that worked. Okay. That's because the wiring in my brain just didn't accept what I had for a body. It just didn't. And thank God I got things fixed. Thank God. Okay. All right. So, all right. That's in my category. That's still a depressing thing. Okay. Now let's give you a couple of heartwarming, you know, stories because remember my work, Ellie Krug is about going out and trying to make the world better. It's about trying to spread compassion. It's trying to spread kindness between humans, regardless of what religion you practice, who you love, who you go to bed as, you know, what occupation you have, what color of skin or whatever, or all of those different things. It's about trying to get past how we group and label other people and be able to just see each other as humans trying to survive the human condition. So one of the stories that I highlighted last, I don't know, I, I highlighted it in my newsletter, The Ripple, that goes out once a month. And that dropped the week before last. And if you go to elliekrug.com, go to newsletters, you'll be able to see the January ripple. But in the, I think it was the September ripple, I did this piece about a man named Kevin Ford. Uh, showed up on my radar, who was a, who was, and I still think remains, a Burger King employee at the Burger King in the Las Vegas airport. And he had accumulated, he had, gotten to the point of being there for 20 years without taking a vacation day. And, and, uh, and, and his employer wanted to commemorate that, wanted to reward him, and they gave him a coffee cup, one, not two, one movie ticket, and some candy bars and some other kind of like whatever, okay? And Kevin, though, being the good-natured person he is, he showed that off in TikTok, and then, you know, the picture of him holding the, the gift, you know, things, and... And, uh, and then the internet responded um, with not such uh, much kindness for the employer about how chintzy they were. And then his daughter, Kevin's daughter, wanted to raise $200 so that Kevin could fly from Vegas to Dallas where she was with the grandchildren so that Kevin could get a flight to Dallas. Okay, I mean, after all, he works for Burger King. You can imagine, I mean... I'd be shocked if he makes more than 12 or $15 an hour. I'd, I'd be shocked. And so the daughter put up on Facebook, or excuse me, on GoFundMe, I want to raise $200 for my dad so he can fly. You know, yes, he had this picture up about, you know, his, his uh, reward for 20 years of never taking a sick day. And she didn't raise $200. She didn't raise $20,000. She didn't raise $200,000. That GoFundMe raised over $400,000 for Kevin Ford. And you know why? Because when we're given a pathway to exercise our empathetic hearts, remember, 98% of all humans have good empathetic hearts. 2% incredibly challenged, but the other 98% are good. But when we're given a pathway on how to exercise our empathetic hearts, we show up in droves. And what is what is if nothing else, what is GoFundMe? GoFundMe is a pathway on how to exercise your empathetic heart. Okay, so that was in the September ripple about how, you know, this GoFundMe just went nuts. 
all of that stuff well. In the January ripple, there's another story. There's a follow-up story because Kevin Ford did get that money and he's got another TikTok out. And the TikTok is of him buying a home. I think it cost him $160,000. Not a fancy place, okay? But as he said, it's my place. Him buying a home outside of Las Vegas. And in the TikTok, he takes us through the front door and gives us a tour of the place. And this man is so incredibly happy that he find. I mean, I think Kevin Ford is in his 50s. But he finally, in his 50s, because of the generosity of strangers who have good hearts, who thought that his plight was horrible, <laughs> you know, what his chintzy boss did, um, he finally has a home, a place that he can call his own. I think that that, I mean, come on, I think that that's got to be a great story, okay? Second great story. Here you go, okay? So uh, I've had James Finn. He's a writer before. He's on, uh, been on uh, this show. I've had him. He is um, a gay man, and he writes about things related to LGBTQ plus people across the country. And he had a great piece that came out, uh, and I'm going to have to take a break before I can tell you the piece because the explanation about the piece is a little bit longer. It's going to warm your heart, though. Trust me, it will warm your heart. Okay? So we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, I'll tell you about this James Finn piece. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world, and I think the only idealistic radio host with a show about idealism and trying to change the world in the world. When we come back, um, I'll tell you more about James Finn. And and if you want, your last chance to call, 952-946-6205. I'll be back in a sec. Thanks. Keep And we're back. LE 2.0 Radio. Okay, before we took the break, I started to tell you about this wonderful feel-good story by James Finn. He's a gay man who writes about all things related to LGBTQ. And his, his stated um, objective is to write one positive LGBTQ plus story per week. And on January 25th, that positive story dropped. It's a story, it's a piece, it's, a, you can, it's on um, uh, Prism and Pen. It is also on Medium that you can find it. Um, and if you can't follow it and you want to read the piece, um, reach out to me and I'll, I'll get it for you, okay? But it's titled, quote, Lesbian Couple Loses Dream Wedding, Neighbors Rain Down Love. And the subheading is Even in the Heart of the Bible Belt. The public are standing up for queer people. So there is a place in Newton, Kansas, called The Barn at Grace Hill. The Barn at Grace Hill. Um, that, uh, and it turned out that that venue was the perfect, perfect barn wedding because Aldi Waggy um, and Jessica Robinson Wanted to get married. They got engaged on the beach. There's, there's, there's been a picture of their engagement uh, on the beach uh, in James Finn article. Um, and but Allie wanted in particular, she wanted to get married in a barn. Okay, you know, a fancy barn. And so the barn at Grace Hill satisfied that need. So they go there. 
They start the process to uh, book the place. And then they get an email from the owner saying that uh, she can't celebrate with them uh, because of her Christian beliefs. It, it, but it didn't say anything else. It didn't say you can't book. It didn't say you can't be here. But the owner's like signaling, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a tolerant of LGBTQ plus people. Well, who in the world is going to go book a $12,000 venue, okay? Who's going to do that when they know that something might be afoot with the owner and maybe per, perhaps their staff? So, so they, so they didn't go forward with that. Allie posted on, you know, um, Facebook about this, you know, thing happening and about being sad and depressed disappointed over it and then it all took off just as it does sometimes with social media so soon there were you know local kansas city paper picked up the story then a tv station wanted to talk and then there were comments coming in on facebook some of them were negative but as ali and uh, jessica reported the the negative comments were outweighed by many many positive comments and then the owner of a different wedding venue uh, the owner of Heritage Meadows Estate in Derby, uh, Kansas, reached out. And that owner, who's not LGBTQ+, okay, said, um, we'll give you the place for free. You can have your wedding here, and we will not charge you. Um, and, uh, and then... <laughs> And then I think they also, I think Ali and Jessica also got a lot of, you know, a lot of comp through some other vendors, okay? But interestingly, Heritage uh, Meadows, okay, estate, then started getting business, okay, from people who wanted to support them because they supported two lesbians who were in love and wanted to get married. And this is, everyone, in Kansas, okay? where you would not expect, as James Finn describes the Bible Belt. And this goes back to something I just said a few minutes ago. Everyone, that most humans have good hearts. And then when given a pathway on how to exercise them, we will. Even with people who are different compared to us, we will. And so, I mean, the, the owner of Heritage Meadows Estate is not LGBTQ+. They're just a human who saw this story about two women in love who were marginalized and said, that ain't right with me. I'm going to do something about it. And, you know, um, you know, I just... I spoke up this week on behalf of somebody who I believed had been marginalized, and um, boy, did I get, boy, did I get some swear words yelled at me, uh, back at me, because I did that speaking up. But you know what? Sometimes, but it, it's okay. It was all right. Ellie Krug survived, um, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> those kinds of words <laughs> thrown my way so quickly <laughs> um, by someone, but. And they walked away. They, I, my safety wasn't at risk or anything like that. But, um, but I spoke up on behalf of a friend who had been marginalized. Um, at any, I, I'm sorry, I went down the wrong road. I got sidetracked there. But anyway, you know, check out this James Finn if you can find it. Reach out to me. It'll be in the, it'll be in the February ripple if you want to wait till then.
Okay, a couple of other things. So I'm watching my time here. And, and uh, so first, I, I don't remember if I talked about this at the la- last time I was, you know, did the show, which was last week. But if I did, bear with me if you're a regular listener. And maybe you're a brand new listener because you wanted to start listening to the block of, you know, of all these uh, ho- show shows hosted by LGBTQ people. Um, I am part of a group that is creating the very first pride group um, for Carver County. It's got a really ingenious name, Carver County Pride. And, uh, and, uh, and it's happening. This is in, a, in, a, in what was a red county. Maybe it's more purplish. I don't know. But it's going to happen in Carver County. We're, gonna, we're going to collaborate with the uh, Chaska Human Rights Commission and some other folks to I th- hopefully put on a parade this year in Chaska for pride and to make the pride a bigger and more robust event, okay? Because in the, in the past, the Chaska Pride, <clears throat> it, 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 they've been trying, okay? <clears throat> but they need some pizzazz. And hopefully we're going to be able to give them that. And then I'm looking forward to Carver County Pride doing some other, other things. So stay tuned. I'll talk about that as we get closer. Uh, mark your date. I think it is June 22nd in Chaska. <clears throat> also, uh, I did talk about this last show, but I'll talk about it again. And that is this. <clears throat> on March 14th, sorry about the coughing, on March 14th, um, at 6.30 in the evening at the Chaska Event Center in downtown Chaska. It's a wonderful event center. It's a beautiful place. I am going to be doing a public gray area thinking. You're all invited. You can come. Go to, um, all you have to do is Google uh, gray area thinking with Ellie Krug, exclamation mark, and, and the Eventbrite um, uh, ticket will come up. It's a $10 fee, but that's only because I want to make sure people come. I'm not making any money off of it. Trust me, I'm paying the expenses and whatever else goes above that goes to charity. So please come. All right, I'm watching my time. I got to do a big thanks to my producer, Dan, who's done a great job today. To you listeners, it's four o'clock. What do you think? Do you like hearing from me at four o'clock? I don't know. Podcast, doesn't matter what time it is, of course. Um, But thanks for tuning in. And will you do me a favor between now and when you hear my voice next? Will you go out and do something? to make the world better. Will you do that for me? Okay? Because you can do that. All right. Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio, over and out.